was like, I was like, you've never walked into the Sistine Chapel and looked up at that beautiful ceiling. And he was like, neither have you. Welcome and thank you for listening to Almost Almost Famous, the podcast where actors, writers, comedians talk about the ups and downs, ebbs and flows of working towards making in this crazy biz and how they're almost almost famous. I'm your host, Daniel Acker. Today's guest has starred in Modern Family, Parts and Rec, and Blackish. He has a sketch show called Jono and Michael Trya that was on Amazon. He went to Europe for the first time this summer and danced all around Greece to Mamma Mia songs. And my, my, how can we resist him? It's the prolific and glorious Michael Strassner. Hello, Daniel. Wow, Hello. What, an, what, an, what an intro. Thank you so much. Well, I just I read what you wrote, so. I know. I, yeah, that's, I appreciate it. <laughs> so you got to go to, to Europe. Yeah, uh, during this whole COVID uh, crazy year. Um, well, I was planning on going to Greece for my 30th. And mm-hmm. then, so I got my ticket. I actually booked my trip to Greece like a week before COVID struck. I was uh-huh. like, man, these flights are getting low. And uh, <laughs> sure enough, I like, you know, within a, then we shut down. I was like, okay, well, I guess I can't go this year. And then like the following year, 2021, which we're in right now, I was like, I, I just got to get there somehow. So uh, my buddies and I, we all went to Alaska. And then when we got back from that, I was like, I'm just going to book my flight to Greece. Cause I just, I, I want to go. It's always my goal. I'm Greek. I booked it and they're like, can we come for the first week? And I was like, sure. And so I was there for two weeks and had an absolute want to go to Europe every year somehow now. I mean, you've been to Europe. You, you actually inspired yeah. me. Oh, you took your whole family there, right? I uh, took all my siblings to Australia and New Zealand. Okay. Well, abroad. Abroad, a trip. But I remember you told me, you said something along the lines of like, yeah, don't worry about the work. Like, go and see the world. Like, in the sense of like, well, I'm worried about going this time of year because of some Mm -hmm. jobs or whatever. I think maybe it was one of them Sunday too. You're like, yeah, go. Don't worry about Sunday. Oh, well, I'm glad I can help you with your travels. Yeah, I'm I'm somebody who feels like don't, don't put certain things on pause. Like, 100%. Book the stuff, go. Because <clears throat> there's also the high likelihood that then by booking that trip, you'll actually book work during it, like which happens to so many people. Oh, yeah. I had to move something this week. <laughs> um, sure enough, because I was like, you know, we were supposed to go to Joshua Tree. And I was like, ah, it's uh, got work. So, you <laughs> nice. know, you move it and then you see what happens next. You Fantastic. try to push it to later. Now, for you, as someone who's been busy and working, have you developed a definition of success for yourself? I kind of have success more of like a full life thing. Like it's not really just career for me. You know, I feel like, yeah, it's great. You know, I've, I've seen certain, and again, I've only learned this from my twenties. And as I keep on getting older, it's like, Oh, like I was, when I was doing Sunday company, for example, I was like, okay, well, when I get to main company, that's when I'll be, you know, that's when I'll be happy. And I'm not really enjoying the ride that much it took me to, you know, to not be at Groundings anymore to be like, oh, like, that's the fun part. Doing this stuff is the actual success, you know, getting, creating stuff, creating whatever that is in your own life and creating in the sense of like creating relationships, creating memories with friends or family. Like that's success for me is like having moments in time that, you know, so cornily, but take your breath away. Well, it sounds like you're, you want every kind of, slice of your life to be fulfilling yeah you know like, because i because the because i mean 
he, you know, we both worked on sets. And when we, when we get to, you know, when I booked that first job, I was like, it was so cool. Like I was pulling on to CBS Radford and, you know, uh, it was for to play Ron Swanson's brother where I have one line in each episode. <laughs> That's it. And it was just Ron and best of luck. Those are my two lines. And I remember pulling in and being like, God, this, this is crazy. You know, I can have my own, tra- I have my own trailer. I'm like, okay. Like, and then you get on set and you shoot for two hours and it's like, okay, see you later. And it's the quickest day of your life. You know, like it's, it's so fast. And it's like your childhood dream of like going and doing this. It's not actually that, you know, mm-hmm. but it's still getting to do something that you really love and that you, that I'm sure your childhood self would still be like, holy crap, you did that, you know? Yeah. It's that strange moment when you go, it really, you go, oh, this really matters to me. Yeah. It's like on that day, nobody's turning to you and going, everyone, big round of applause for Michael. He's, he's done it. He's good. Good job, kid. Yeah. I'm excited for you. Like, which as we, we still get, we, well, which we still get when we're done. They're like, okay, that's a wrap on Michael. We're going right, to see yeah. yeah. You know? But that's because actors, I think, need that attention to just get a quick clap and be like, you know, it's like, yes, I did that. I, I said, here you go mm-hmm. to Jane. I was going to say Jane Austen, but I was not in a scene with Jane Austen ever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's a tough one to work with. She, she yeah. is difficult. She hasn't know? done much in a while, but yeah. No. And if you do see Jane, please tell her I said hello. And that you'd and, love to work with her. Yeah, again. I guess one thing I always find interesting is how have you learned to handle the highs and lows kind of of this career path for you? How do you find that balance or have you not? Again, it's within recent years, I've found that kind of balance of accepting the highs and lows. And a lot of it's come from having stuff to do outside of this industry that I find joy in this time of year. It's always uh, football for me you know, having that whole Sunday just to watch sports and take my mind off everything, be it, and also like, you know, exercise or going on hikes, hanging out with friends, not talking about the industry so much because I mean, that's, you know, this podcast, a nightmare. Yeah. No, actually this is, this is great. If I could just get 40 minutes a day talking about it, it's, it's incredible. And then like really actually celebrating the wins, whatever they are, like, because I feel like so often, at least speaking in my, you know, I'll get something, I'll, I'll, I'll book work. And my first, when I tell somebody, oh, I booked this thing and they're like, oh my God, that's awesome. And I just quickly go, it's just a commercial or uh, it's just a co-star or it's just, and it's like, now how about you just take it as I'm working as an actor and that's a, that's a win, you know, and not judge yourself. So, I mean, also like, Again, give yourself credit because there's also a ton of other people that went out for that and they chose you. So go do the job that you wanted to come out here and do. I think it comes with like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a, not a hippy dippy, but I, uh, I have a gratitude list every day that I write, you know, that just kind of gives me some sort of just inventory of what, what I already have in my life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the added stuff is the acting and the work that way, you know? So definitely the, yeah, finding, finding joy in, in just everyday stuff is kind of where I found the highs and lows and also not putting so much pressure on every freaking thing. Cause you know, now it's, you send a tape out and they might look at it, they might not. So you yeah. might as well have fun doing it. 
I agree. I think that's a great approach because it's such as an interesting thing. And anytime I've been too zeroed in or focused on career in a negative way, like I got, I got to get something, something has to happen. Almost inevitably nothing does. It's like, it's like I am setting myself up. It's almost like I can feel like back in the day, if I really liked a girl, she was never going to date me. Yeah, like 100%. It was yeah. like, it was like, and not that I was like, oh, I got to pretend to be too cool. But there's like, a, not being too cool, but just realizing you have a whole life. You have a whole filled out life. You have hobbies, you have interests, you have friends, you travel, you do things, you read, you learn. And you're an actor and you're a writer. Like these are just parts of you. They are not the definition of you. Exactly that. That's not just, it's not just like, I, I don't want on my tombstone Michael Strassner, actor, occasional writer. Yeah. You know, parentheses, but only like commercials, really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Geico cameraman. That's what I, that's what I don't <laughs> want, you know? Yes. When you are auditioning and going out and stuff, do you have any like rituals or any things that you do to prep? Like what, like, I guess part, if you have a process, what do you do? My process is kind of just, it's kind of constantly evolving and changing. And like when I book something, I'm like, okay, let me try to do more of what I did in that. But I kind of have a daily thing that I do every day, even if I don't have an audition or anything, but like meditation is a huge part of my morning. I do that right when I get up. And then I also make my bed. If I do those two things, I'm like, okay, like it's a good start to my day. So I know that I at least accomplished something. And I'm a crazy person, Daniel. I, I get up every day at 4.30. So uh, then I go and I work out, but that's like my morning routine that I kind of have down. Yeah. I try to make sure I know the lines. Cause I feel like that's my biggest obstacle usually as an improv and sketch person to kind of, I was like, kind of, well, I kind of said the gist of what they were saying. And then like, sometimes I'll get tape sent back being like, yeah, they want it word perfect. And I'm like, okay, that's my nightmare. Um, but I'll, uh, I'll see what I can do. But I mean, I think the most ritual thing that I'm trying to do with each self-tape that I is just bring myself into it, whatever that means, you know, because I feel like so much I was in previous places, like trying to play something else and a character of it. It's like, well, I'm pretty interesting in my own body and I can pull that stuff out, you know, so why don't I try to do more of that? I don't know if I answered the question there, but you, you crushed it. You nailed okay. it. Okay. Well, uh, out of the park. I find anytime I have done the kind of like wake up a bit early, you know, meditate right exercise i'm kind of in a similar boat as you where it's like whatever happens the rest of the day it feels like few i've checked yeah. that off because i know on days when like i wake up later or i push that stuff to the side it tends to not happen it tends to not get done yeah it really does i mean like you know like i even yesterday like sunday i i slept in till seven i uh what a layabout i know i'm just a <laughs> you know, lethargic, but I just watched football all day. And I was like, even on those days, I was like, I need to still get up and just like run or do something. Like I need to do some type of, cause I, by like five o'clock, I was like, I'm supposed to be like loving this football thing. And I'm not like, I don't feel really great today. You know, and I should be feeling great. Cause this is the first start of the season. You know, I think it was also just a, you know, I didn't eat that well that day too. All these things, you know, they go hand in hand. When you start to learn more about your brain and your body and all that, you're like, oh, wow. This this all matters. Exactly. Also, when you kind of develop that self-imposed 
discipline, it makes everything else in a way I feel like less stressful. Oh yeah. It gives you, you know, a false sense of control, which we all like. And, you know, like you, you can be like, I realize I don't really have much say in anything in my life, but in the little microcosms where I can do something, it's nice to do positive things and do things that like start your day. Right. Yeah. Make my brain just feel good in the morning. You know? Yeah. That's, you know, that's, I think the big thing. And so when you're auditioning or going out or doing things, I feel like by doing those morning steps, you're able to go, well, whatever happens in this is also fine. And also like, like auditions don't fucking matter. Like they're really like this whole thing that we're trying to do with our lives. Like, None of it is truthful. We are making up on the spot characters and lies in our heads or whatever. And we're making an imaginary love. I mean, that's it. But you're still trying to find the truth in that and play it as real as possible. So like, it's just all, it just doesn't matter. So like the more, like, I think the most fun or most people that I love to watch on stage or in movies so much are the people that like, were, you could see we're having fun doing it you know, and, and having joy and happiness. Watching that is just like the most fun. It's most inspiring to me. It's like, oh, okay, like mm-hmm. I, I like watching that person. You are somebody clearly who's over the years realized like, I just want to be authentically me. So when I am acting and I'm doing stuff and pretending and imagining and playing a character and doing a role, that there's something after to go back to. Exactly, you know. And I can, and, and, and I can leave the set or the play or whatever I'm doing and be like, okay, I'm now Michael. And I was Michael today too, but there's a part of me that they used, you know, but I, this Michael comes home, has a nice dinner, you know, you know, has, has calls up friends and goes out and to take my mind off whatever occurred. I feel like that's where the trouble can happen for a lot of actors and comedians and writers is they don't also do the work to make them them like themselves so when they get to escape and play someone else and then they come back they realize like oh i don't i don't like this person who i'm stuck with and it's so crucial to like you know not every day you're gonna look in the mirror and love everything but you should overall be like wow like okay i'm me like how great is that and there's no one else like me yeah and that you know you don't have to be an actor you get to be an actor you know like Mm -hmm. Like if you want to, that's it. Like, and that's the way I kind of look at it. It's like, oh, I get to do this for a living. It's like, it's such a great, I don't know. Like I I, I get to do the thing I love. Now, if memory serves me correct, you're from Maryland, right? Yep. Baltimore, Uh, Maryland. Baltimore. Growing up, was there an active like performance theater scene you were part of as a kid? And you like, it was, is this something like if I talk to your friends from back home and your family, they'd be like, oh, he was always going to act. Or is it like, oh, no, he kind of, we didn't know. I was constantly the class clown. Like, that was my, you know, go-to. Mm-hmm. You know, when we got history, like, we got, uh, well, I got two quick stories. One, um, my first acting bug kind of happened when I was in seventh grade. I got cast as Snoopy in You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, a lot of dancing and singing, which I don't really do singing that well. I still try to dance a lot that I was like, oh, wow, I found this joy of like, and I was like making people laugh, you know, like with my out of this or just goofy Snoopy isms or whatever. And that was when I was like, oh, wow, like I really love doing, I love being on stage and performing. But then like, you know, 
when I was in high school, I still did plays. I, I, I would, I would um, sign up for the dramas and I would bring, and they're like, yeah, just bring in a monologue. And I did the monologue from uh, that Robin Williams does in Good Will Hunting. Yeah. And I was 15 at the time when I was doing that monologue. And he's talking about like, he's like, you've never held a man's uh, like head in war. And, you know, the doctor can see in your eyes that the term visiting hours doesn't apply to you because your wife has cancer and all this stuff. And my, my acting teacher was like, Hey, so like, have any of those things ever happened to you? Yeah. While you're, while like, your voice is cracking. Yeah, exactly. It's cracking and like all this stuff. And I was like, no, he's like, pick a, pick a monologue that's more your age range. Yeah. You're literally, also, this is, yeah. you're saying the line like, cause you're just a kid. <laughs> exactly exactly it's like uh, and i was like i was like you never walked into the sistine chapel and looked up at that beautiful ceiling and he was like neither have you my acting teacher he was like uh he and senior year you could take an elective so i took acting 101 and i was the only kid who signed up so it was just me and him in class wow and he was like i i got a story for you i was 22 years old i just got out of college i went to william and mary on Sunday, September 18th, I drove up to New York City, unpacked my bags. I was going to give it a, a try as an actor. On Monday, September 19th, I drove back home. <laughs> and I was like, so you're telling me you gave yourself under 24 hours as an actor <laughs> before you decided to go into teaching high school theater? What happened? Like, it wasn't for me. What happened? I have no idea. He didn't tell me more of the story, but I was like, that is the story that I need to explore more of. Yeah, I always find, because, you know, we probably know plenty of people who've pursued it, realized it wasn't for them, went on to do other things. And I'm somebody, I think there's always like the feeling like, oh, they, they quit acting or they gave up. And I go, no, 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 they are, they're becoming more themselves. You know, like they're, they're like finding what actually makes them happy. I tell people like, there's potential for accolades and awards and being really great at this. If you're not happy and it's not genuine and you don't actually want to do it, none of that stuff matters. So like your first box to check off is like when you're doing it, are you like, there's nothing else I want to be doing. Exactly. If there's anything else you want to do, anything, yeah. do it. It's too tough. Because there's, I mean, there's no, it's just not because there's, it's like people are like, how do you deal with the rejection? I'm like, I'm just so used to it now. Like majority of things you don't, I mean, out of a thousand things, yeah. you might get one. So maybe, you know, but like, that's the, like, so it's like, you just get, like, you just, it really is like, I might not have tough skin in other yeah. things, but in that part of it, I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. I don't even really think about it when it's just like, of course I want to book everything I go out for and I want to be right for everything. But I, a personal mantra sure. of mine is I always remind myself, I'm going to book the parts I'm right for and the parts that are right for me. Like, it's just like, there's no way around that. And yeah. I just have to accept like, yeah, they found someone who is the person I want. If that, if that person was me, it'd be me. But yeah, it is something where like, I think that is part of the fear is people are like, oh my God, it's so like unstable. It's so uncertain. You never know if you're going to book. And I go, I'm pretty positive. I will book. We've been being consistently yeah. good and just, you know, doing the work and showing up when you're supposed to. And then on the flip side, I go, I can't imagine doing a job I dislike. Same. I mean, I, 
I can't imagine like because there are jobs that I'm like oh, okay like I will actually there's so many jobs that I don't think I can actually do that I'm like that I have my, my other friends that are like in finance and like I, I I can't count like I really can't like I like I still use my fingers for <laughs> simple tip like and I'm like I can't I literally can't do anything but make people laugh and kind of memorize lines sometimes. as long as there's no math involved in the, in the exactly as long as there's no math do not have me be a math professor because i'm not gonna that's get why it right. you couldn't do matt damon's monologues from goodwill hunting it's, it's exactly no i wouldn't i wouldn't touch stellan scarguards <laughs> uh, yes. it would not would not go well when was comedy kind of you're like okay this is what i'm, I'm... i mean i like growing up like i loved robin williams I loved Chris Farley. I loved Bill Murray. I loved Jim Carrey. And I loved Phil Hartman. But my real, I mean, like, I remember, like, coming home from Mrs. Doubtfire at, like, three years old, not remembering kind of what the whole overall aspect of the movie is. <laughs> Probably shouldn't see it at three years old. But I remember just, like, I, I came home, and I literally put on my sister's dress and wig and came downstairs. And my mom's like, Michael, what are you doing? And I just go, I'm Eupagenia Doubtfire, my dear. And it went on for like two weeks where I just would constantly, to the point where my dad literally walked in on me going to the bathroom and I was sitting down going number one. And he was like, this is ending. I don't know, I don't know how you're coming up with this whole thing, you know, you know. And then I would watch like Tommy Boy and Ace Ventura. And I was like, I just, I, and then I would impersonate them and would do it for family first and just try to make them laugh. And then it kind of stuck, like, when I came out to L.A., I was like, okay, well, who are my heroes? And I was like, Chris Farley, Bill Murray, and uh, I think I, Mike Myers also was, like, big in there. And I was like, and I already got out of here, and I was like, okay, well, they all started at Chicago's Second City, <laughs> and I didn't do any research at all. So I was like, okay, well, who's my number two? And I was like, okay, well, Will Ferrell's in that mix. Uh, Kristen Wiig was really popular at the time. I was like, I really love what she does. And Phil Hartman. And I was like, okay, let me go to this place called The Groundlings. And I was like, oh, this seems easy. Like, it's just five levels. You should get through it in a year and it'll be fine. And uh, sure enough, that wasn't the mm -hmm. case. But that's when I also fell more in love with like improv. I mean, improv was so fun for me because I was like, oh, I can make these things up with other people and share this crazy scene on stage as long as we justify it and you know i don't know it was just like and then like that, those rules kind of continue to continue to be a part of my life improv especially is a great life skill i think even more so than sketch or stand-up or certain things where you just go look someone in the eyes in a way try to be a little more agreeable and add to what they're doing and be positive and get out who you are, what you're doing, where you're like, just simple things where I go, I am so glad that I have such a strong improv foundation, not just for my like writing and acting, but just for life. Looking people in the eye is such a thing that like doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. Like people will shake my hand, not I guess pre-COVID, but like, will like look down when they're, and it's like, even like if improv, it's like, yeah, like you look at the person and you connect with them, you know, that's, part of and that's just such a thing in life too that I think is kind of missing a little bit that I would love to go back to and it seems like a lot of your uh I guess heroes and role models and stuff also really excel at like physical comedy which I think is something you yeah. also are fantastic at 
It's a dying art. <laughs> it, is. it is. No one's slipping on banana peels anymore. Nope. <laughs> uh, is that also something like as a kid that you were like growing up with your friends, you were the one to kind of like, in a way, be the, like you said, you're the class clown. Was yeah. your class clownery more of the physical shtick? Were you more of a wordsmith? How would you have defined yourself in the classroom? I think to this day, I'm still not much of a wordsmith. But yeah, I would always like, I, I would have funny ideas. Like, you know, in history, senior year, we got assigned like um, to come up or like to present a song in history that meant something during that time. And mm-hmm. many people pick like, Bob Dylan, times they are changing, or you did the Pabba's Waterloo. Well, close. I did do a German one. I chose David Hasselhoff looking for some freedom. And it was, and I was the only song that got turned off midway through. <laughs> but it's when he performed at the fall of the Berlin Wall. And this was such a huge thing for East and West Berlin that they could like, you know, and I remember like watching I Love the 80s growing up, that TV show. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do David Hasselhoff looking for some freedom. And I got an A for the assignment but, and, and creativity. He was like, you really thought outside the box on this one. No one's ever done this song. Um, I've, done, I've been doing this for many years. I also, his name was Mr. Holler. And I always came into class and said, Dr. Holler. And he's like, you're the nicest. It's like, he's like, you, I do not have my doctorate at all. You should not be calling me doctor <laughs> over and over again. But it's just what, we, what I just called him. So I was constantly just like, and I was a smart ass and did a bunch of like, you know, my dad always said I had a giant chip on my shoulder. Um, but that's from, you know, parents breaking up and other things that also like, like but again, drove me more towards comedy. If I mm-hmm. could, you know, these dark things, dark things that happen in my life, if I could bring some type of humor out of it, I was happy. I think that is, that's, that can be pretty common of many comedians oh, yeah. of like, yeah, I just like, you know, like there's a great sensation of making people laugh changes it from a, a bad situation to a slightly better situation. Oh yeah. And there's like the power in that. Um, I do love that your teacher like turned off the song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, uh, like, you, get, you just take the A, I cannot listen yeah. to any more of this. <laughs> do you have in your life moments where you feel like you've hit milestones? or have, have made it, quote unquote, or been successful? A couple of years back, I, I, I got to test for SNL. And like, that was like my, I was like, okay, like we, you know, did the showcase and then we flew out once. And then the second time we flew out, I was like, holy crap. Okay, wow, they might actually be considering me. Um, you know, I might need to start looking. I've never lived in New York and I don't think I can figure out a subway system. But I was like, okay, it felt so close or it felt close. And then sure enough, like, as you can, as you, almost, almost, you know, if it was, <laughs> if it was famous podcast, I probably, you know, but that was the closest, I think. But at the same time, like that's, yeah, you know, that was a, looking back on that, you know, of course the mind likes to pick certain, like, like, well, yeah, but you, you know, yeah, but I didn't get it, throw that away, you know, but it's like, no, you got to do it, you know, like your childhood dream was to be on that show and you got to at least audition on that stage. That was where all your heroes were. That's a win. It's a huge win. And especially to be asked back, I know what you mean. Like it feels like that's the pinnacle. That feels like the ultimate lottery ticket of like getting on SNL. That's what every 
you know, everyone I've been talking to is like, yeah, that's kind of, you know, what I grew up with and that's what I would love to do. But you do have to take the moment of, of recognizing the yeah. incredible win of getting to even be asked to test and audition, and, you know, on that stage is incredible. But part of the thing that like, again, back in that day, like I was not enjoying the ride. I couldn't wait to get to that thing. And then once mm-hmm. I got there, I didn't, you know, and it's like, no, you got to enjoy that ride, yeah. man. Like that's the whole point of this whole career is like enjoying all the wins and, and daily and daily wins. Cause the goalpost, you can always move. Always. You could have got yeah. on SNL and the second you got on, you'd be like, well, I just let me get season two. You know, like, let me just, oh, yeah. and suddenly you just don't even enjoy your first year on Saturday Night Live. Like there's all these effects from your test. Do you have any personal like, character or impression that you're like that i'm so glad i got to do that yeah i mean i my like i got to do some of my physical things that i fucking loved to like i i figured out this character my first six at sunday he was a painter who would um he uh would paint to system of a down it was all physicality and it was all just like i could just go full fucking ham with it but that was something that I would like loved doing on that stage. And like, I remember hearing laughter mm. from, from, I don't know if it was Lauren, but it was definitely somebody over there. I mean, it was all like, looking back like a fucking blur, but that was one that I was really happy to do. I remember seeing the, the painter character at the park with your easel. Canvas. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For the listener, it was fantastic. It was just such a really fun, energetic, physical bit that just, could consistently deliver, which is such a, like, I love when you kind of, when you get, when you find those characters and you find those moments and you go, oh my gosh, I think whenever I do this, there'll be laughs. It's like such a wonderful gift to give yourself. Thank you very much for the beautiful course. It was, it was, you know, a wonderful experience. Well, as I give you compliments, sorry, now's the time of the show when we invite out the famed insult comic, Raz Clifford. Oh, I've heard about him. I'm very excited. Yes. Uh, so he comes in. He always likes to take, you know, it's not enough that the podcast called Almost Almost Famous. He likes to come in and, and take them down a peg. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and bring Raz out. Come on out, Raz. Oh, hi, folks. Oh, here we go. Michael Strassner, the king of the oafs. <laughs> you listeners, Michael has a face for radio. In the mind of the Cuba Gooding Jr. character radio. <laughs> Michael is such a lovable idiot, minus the lovable part. <laughs> yeah. Michael, I, I, according to your Wikipedia, used to be a bridge troll, and you'd ask passerby's riddles, but you'd forget the answers. Uh, is, that, is that all true? I think it is. 100% accurate. Yeah, I heard you were fired, and that's rough. Well, okay, Michael, I got, a ri- I got a riddle for you. What is a piece of shit that is going nowhere in life? Probably me. Oh, no, Michael, it's a poop that won't flush. Jeez, have some confidence in yourself. Oh, my God. Oh, geez, that was really sad to hear, folks. Okay, everyone, I just hit him with that razzle-dazzle. Now, Michael, if you ever see me out, please do not talk to me. I'm probably busy chatting it up with Jane Austen. All right, <laughs> So long, you schmuck. Adios, Raz. Thank you. Bye, Raz. Oh, that was good. That was all uh, my, uh, I got roasted on my 21st birthday. Oh, nice. And the best joke that they came, my buddy, Matt Norris said, uh, 
your acting is as believable as when your father says, I love you. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, my God. What a great dig that only a friend can give. It was it hit. That was that was the that was the home run of the night. I was like, that's that's pretty good. That it covers so many things. <laughs> it's in just uh, two sentences or a, a sentence and a comma. Yeah, what a great, you know, I'm clearly a fan of roast comedy and stuff because I think there it's truly like a fine art of like you got to be concise and go right for the jugular but in such a way that you're still loved. It is like very difficult. Like yes. Somebody could have told that same joke and by who's telling it, how they tell it, suddenly it's not funny. Suddenly it's just like, whoa, don't don't talk about my acting, don't talk about my dad, don't talk about my life. But this person was able to just like thread the needle and you're like, oh my God. Oh, that got hit. me. You got me. Mm-hmm. Because it's like two things you're so sensitive about. <laughs> yeah, that almost in a way cancels. Yeah. Like it's just like, it's just like, oh, like, um, and we touched on it a little bit. You kind of mentioned there weren't things to do, but if you weren't to be acting, what would be either a field of interest or another thing you'd be pursuing? I mean, honestly, uh, what I think I would want to do is work on a boat. I have no boat experience. Um, but you got that boat vibe. You yeah. Boat vibe. I mean, now, I love the idea of you just like being a, an accountant who just happens to work on a boat. Like not actually working on the boat in a boat sense, but you just have your office on a boat. So you would like to be okay working on a boat is that like crew like the captain would you want to be the chef on the boat like what like that's fat when i was in greece and alaska we took two boat trips um and well i took three total because when i was by myself i went on another boat trip i just fell in love with boats um but like being like not the captain but like the first mate who's leading these people on the boats and like sharing a fun time with them kind of almost like Rob Riggle in the office, but just abroad, you know, like that's like I, and maybe even like sailing with a couple, like, like a whole boat, like a whole like crew of people, but doing it in Europe. Mm-hmm. That's where I would want to, that's what I think if, if it didn't work out in acting, that's either Europe or Alaska, I would head to. Feels like you want to be almost like the maitre d' of the boat, the concierge yes. of the boat, like the person. I would love to be the host. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's someone who, okay, your boat is ready. Come on in. You probably would also love, like, it sounds like you want to work on the boat, but not actually have any job regarding to the safety or navigation no. or actually running of the boat. You just want to be like the face of the boat. Like, so, like, when people yeah. can come to you and you can direct them to where their queries need to go or you can make sure like, Oh, how's the food, everything to your liking. Like it's very much like you want to be the front facing captain. And that's maybe because I don't know anything about a boat that like, that's the reasoning why I'd want to be the face of the boat. Like I think if maybe I learned about um, port side or strong side, I don't see again, that's (laughs) football. Oh my God. Yeah. That's that scene in remember the Titans when they're on the boat. (laughs) So that's why I think my goal, like, again, I would be, again, I think if I, if I were, because like, if I did work on the boat, I'd have to know these things. Right. But um, yeah, making sure that like, oh yeah. And by the way, on the right up here is like a volcano where I can get too close, you know, but Mm. make sure you get your pictures, you know, just 
like those type of things. Like it just seemed like those guys and females who were on the boat were just having a great time just being like, and seeing how much fun other people are having on the boat, having a great life experience yeah, and being a host for that. You still get to kind of entertain, you get to travel. It kind of like, you know, gets you doing all the things you'd like to do. And you make millions doing yeah. <laughs> that. It's, it is high octane cash coming in. Now, do you, would you want to ever be a performer on like a cruise ship or anything or no? So no, no, no. <laughs> so no. you'd like to be the person on the cruise ship like, and this is where you can see our performers do some makeup ups. Yeah. <laughs> Come with yeah. me to the Lido deck. A lot of actors who couldn't quite hit on land come over here where there's no rules well this is something i always ask of my guests um when you're inevitably a guest on a late night show do you have a a story you've always wanted to tell oh man i feel like i've given a couple here like uh that's a tough that's i mean of course the hardest question is like the last one where you're like you know Mm -hmm. what do you really got going on here probably like Getting kicked out of groundlings for bullying. That's probably my. <laughs> okay, I'm going to set you up then. We're going to treat it like a late night <laughs> okay. show. Oh, no, don't worry, uh, folks. Uh, glad you're here tonight. We got a great show for you. Our first guest, movie star, actor. We love him. He's wonderful. He's also does some boat tours, I hear, and he's great at that. Here and there. Uh, everyone, it's uh, Michael Strassner. Now, uh, it's great to see you, Michael. You're looking well. You're looking fit as well. Oh, always. great to see you, Daniel. Thank um, you for having me. Of course. Uh, and now I can't believe this is true, but according to my research and my notes, it says here that you were, you were actually kicked out of, uh, the Groundlings Comedy Theater for bullying. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. A lot of people didn't. And, uh, that's the thing is, um, you know, this smile and dimples can be pretty, can wreak havoc on a cast of 20 somethings, uh, 30 somethings and 40 somethings for some, for some extent. But yes, it is true. Um, you know, uh, I have since made a sorries to those people, but uh, I was going through my own stuff at that time as well. Uh, but doesn't give me an excuse. And you know, and I, I have an intimidating face, and I think that's what's in the notes. What's nice is like when most people at the Groundlings, when you get asked to never come back there again, uh, you usually get called by a teacher or your director to be like, "Hey, it's not going to happen anymore there." When you get a phone call from the attorney saying you're no longer uh, welcome at uh, Groundlings, it just has more zazz to it. You know, it just feels like you, you really hit it out of the park there. Mm-hmm. So, and it probably could have happened at any comedy school. You know, I'm, I'm, people kind of call me the bad boy improv. So, <laughs> yeah, you got that. You got that vibe. Well, it seems like, you know, I'm sure during it was such a, crazy thing but now post you've been able to reflect like you said and make your sorries and amends and see perspective so you've you've done what we all in this country i guess hope that when bullies are confronted they reflect they grow a hundred percent i mean that's the whole point of life you know like i i i loved my experience there it was a lot of fun and um you know when and I think in this culture now, if you make a mistake and you own up to it and you, or whatever you do, you know, make amends, do whatever you need to do, and then move on with your life and continue and hopefully learn something from it and grow. Mm-hmm. Because if you're not, it's probably, it's probably going to happen again. Yeah. So I love that you did get a call from 
an attorney. It's just a shame that the attorney wasn't like, I also saw a couple of shows. <laughs> and and, and it wasn't going to work out. It yeah. still wasn't. So just, you know, don't worry about it. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it would have been great if he was just like, you know, you just, you do too much physical stuff. So I, if I was you, I, I would just, for whatever school you go to next and continue your chaos, try something new, brother. Just, yeah. Try it. Stretch. Change it up. Stretch change yourself, it up. Change yourself. Well, exactly. I guess this is a time when I should bring out the attorney to let you know that <laughs> you're being kicked off the podcast. That's good. That's good uh, to know. Uh, well, before you do go, Michael, do you have any things you're working on in the pipeline, things you're excited about for uh, um, listeners to look out for? Yeah, well, um, my buddy John and I, we just, we just released um, a little teaser trailer for a pilot that we're trying to get picked up. Picked up. Uh, so that's on the Genuine Jerks channel over on YouTube. Um, check that out. And then uh, I've got another movie that's coming out in November that I worked with a couple friends with that we were all in uh, Greece and um, Alaska together called Spy Movie. That'll be out probably in November, I think. And yeah, uh, also just enjoy your everyday life because that's what's absolutely the most important thing about life. Fantastic words. And my favorite line from Warren Zevon that has always stuck with me and my best advice I've ever gotten via Letterman late night show was enjoy every sandwich. Mm, that's a good one. My favorite one from him is, oh, werewolves of London. I don't know. <laughs> that's the one I like the most. That's a good one. That's a good one. Well, Michael, thank you for being a guest on Almost Almost Famous. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I'm your host, Ian Acker, and this has been Almost Almost Famous. <laughs> Thank you.